When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and really admires Gareth Southgate's cunning plan to come second in the group. I'm Kevin Day and here's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, Kieran, I say I'm still slightly hoarse from shouting, get in the box at Harry Kane. <laughs> I think all this, talk, all this talk of him being a midfield playmaker has gone to his head. Um uh, Kieran, it's an exciting day for both of us, actually, because it's it's the longest day, yes. which, which is handy because we've got quite a long pod. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm a big fan of the longest day because it means we've broken the back of summer, Kieran. The nights will start to get darker and just have to get July and August out of the way and suddenly we're in September and it's nearly Christmas and I can smile and be happy again. And even more importantly, Kieran, you've got an updated mind map. Yes, they, they've uh, updated the software, um, so I've, I've got new, uh, new new combinations of colours and routines, so I've, I've been in geek heaven all morning uh, researching for today's show. Uh, my, my life gets no more rock and roll than this, Kevin. No more rock and roll. I, I just think, <clears throat> I'm sure the listeners won't mind me saying there's a little insight into our relationship. Is that when, I, when we logged on this morning, the first thing I said was, you say, you hadn't even said anything, and I've said, you sound chipper. <laughs> he's, he's, he's breathing more happily than he has been for a while he's, yeah and if he actually said Denny was saying good morning how are you I've got an updated mind map hey. <laughs> um, it's questions day Kieran on the longest day goodbye summer but we do have a couple of stories to discuss first and the first of that first uh, is us basically is we've had an email from the communications director at the EFL, a very nice, pleasant e- email, I have to say, as you'd expect. Um, and the communications director at the EFL asked if we have a number for Swiss Ramble. Um, <laughs> once, we, <laughs> once we got past that, they, they asked in a very friendly manner if they could clarify one or two things following our chat when Trevor Birch said that he wanted to scrap parachute payments. We discussed that recently. Uh, and the email points out that sustainability for the future would be better provided by pooling the net media revenue of the Premier League and EFL, with the EFL getting 25%, and removing parachute payments would prevent continued irrational behaviour. And, talking about effective cost control, the EFL told us, we absolutely agree, and that's a quote, we absolutely agree that we can't increase income and then spend it on transfer fees, agent fees, and additional wages. Now, I think that's fairly close to what we actually said at the time. And we're now in talks with the EFL 
about getting someone to come on and talk to us in general. But in the meantime, Kieran, your comments on the clarifications they asked for? Well, it, it does seem to to repeat the the, the comments from Trevor Birch. Um, I, I've said all along that uh, if we reduce the the gaps between divisions, then uh, parachute payments automatically disappear. Uh, but at present, what the EFL appear to be saying to the Premier League is, if you give us twenty five percent of your money uh, from the TV deal, problem solved. Uh, and if and from the Premier League's point of view, I guess they're saying, well, okay, what do we get in return? Yeah. You know, if, if you if you go to Ricky Gervais and say, Ricky, can I have twenty five percent of your uh, income because I'm also a comedian? Um, what's he going to do? Make a sarcastic comment. <laughs> Open his eyes wide at the camera. Tell me about animals being killed. Uh, which is not fair, actually. Ricky's a, a very, very nice chap, by the way. Um, what I found, I and mean, I can't stress enough, it was a very friendly email. Um, I, I won't name the communications director because that probably wouldn't be fair to him, but it was a very friendly email. And he just said he, he loved the pod. And I'm putting words in his mouth there, but in, in, I'm sure that's what he meant to imply. Um, but the, the phrase that leapt out at me was. Uh, preventing continued irrational behaviour. Because it seems to imply that the only way to prevent continued irrational behaviour is to give clubs in the EFL less money, some of them, and then and then they won't they won't be irrational with it, essentially, because we're talking about we if we do give them money, we can't let them increase income, spend it on transfer fees, agent fees, additional wages, etc. And it's it's it seems to me that the EFL as a, as an organization actually has a very difficult job reining in clubs and club owners that are going to behave irrationally regardless of of, of what you do for them. Yes, yeah, and, and it is, is a genuine challenge. I, th- I think the, the rationale behind the argument, and I, I, I do have sympathy with this, is that if clubs are coming down with the benefit of parachute payments, then that creates an arms race but from other clubs in the championship who want to get promoted um, and there is logic in that, but it's got to be done on a universal basis. If we're going to give money from the clubs in the Premier League to the clubs in the Championship, um, then perhaps the, the EFL needs to look at the, the distribution of revenues in the EFL itself, because that creates exactly the same issue. Uh, mm. 80% of the EFL's uh, broadcast revenue goes to clubs in the championship and just 12% to clubs in League One. So that creates a league, uh, a, a, an arms race in League One for clubs that want to go up. And also, of course, the, the EFL itself has parachute payments when clubs get relegated. So it's no point saying if we just get if we, if we just stop parachute payments from the Premier League to the Championship, if we're going to have that within the the EFL, and of course there are parachute payments from the EFL to clubs that can re- get relegated to the National League, and and it used to be for one year, and then and then the the uh, I think the EFL extended that to two years. Now that was that was down to the owners voting to change the rules, the owners mm. of clubs in the EFL, and um, I was talking to. Um, a chief executive of a League Two club uh, 
two or three days ago. Um, and he said his club uh, was uh, was relegated to the National League and that uh, without the parachute payments, they, they would be in they real danger of going out of business. Um, right. and, and that's the purpose of the parachute. So um, do I think they're too much? Yes. Um, you know, I, when we had this discussion, what's the purpose of a parachute? It's to stop you from crashing on the rocks below when you, when you yeah. jump from a high height. Um, I know some people have suggested, well, we'll just have mandatory wage uh, cuts. But you know, from, from, I think from a contract law point of view, you know, what happens if you're a club such as Stoke City who get relegated and they say, well, well, our owners are quite happy to continue to pay the same level of wages as before. Mm. And we don't want the the deals that we sign when we're in the Premier League to have uh, 80 or 90% uh, wage, wage relegation clauses because it affects our ability to compete in the Premier League, so I think we need to look at it on a, on a broader scale. You know, why is it that uh, we've effectively got parachute payments for those clubs that, that qualify for the Champions League? They call them something different. They they call them five and ten year coefficients, um, but the the gap between the big six and the other fourteen in the Premier League is just a bigger problem as the gap between the bottom of the Premier League and, and the top half of the Championship. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm in favour, and and the reason why, yeah, I'll be honest here. The reason why historically there's been a bit of a testy relationship with the EFL is that yeah, Rick Parry has described me as having no talent, and the finance director described me as a troublemaker. Now, under those circumstances, am I going to go and you know reach out and and try to be best bezies? <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's absolutely outrageous to describe no, it's not outrageous yeah it's it's, no, it's, no, no, it's no, opinion no. I've, I've no yeah, issue with it's, that it's it's out kieran if you if you just hear me out sorry kieran, sorry with, with my with, with my opinion kieran <laughs> uh it's absolutely outrageous to suggest you have no talent to suggest you can be a bit of a troublemaker hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that's that's an opinion that's I know people all around the world might get on board with, um, mainly FIFA cartel members, um, mafia members, <laughs> Blackpool nightclub goers, all sorts of people. Uh, yes, I know your relationship with the EFL has been a, a problematic one, Kieran, but which is why I was really quite pleased that we had that email from the EFL. We now have a, a, a direct line of communication with them. And of course, they have the best interests of every club in the EFL at heart and wish to con- ensure their continued survival. So with any luck, if we will get somebody from the EFL, but I'm guessing it probably won't be Rick Perry. Um, and if it is, that'll be an interview we might have to get producer Guy in to do. <laughs> Rick Perry strikes me as the sort of person who would say, yeah, I'm not talking to those monkeys. I want the actual organ grinder. I mean, we'll, we'll, well, wait, he's, he's not a fan of Crystal Palace's Steve Parrish either, is he? Uh, no, he's not a fan of Crystal Palace. No, who's, yeah, not having Rick Parry on. That's yeah. I don't care how friendly the AFL been. That's it. Putting my foot down now, Kieran. You've, <laughs> just, you've talked me into it, you troublemaker. Um, two stories are, are related, Kieran. Uh, one of which created more interest than I suspect the club involved would have thought it would do. Firstly, Jamie Vardy has bought a minority stake in the US side Rochester Rhinos, who I believe are, are all but defunct, aren't they? Yes, uh, Rochester Rhinos is is a franchise which was bought by uh, the Dworkin family in 2016, and they've they've played in in the USL, which is effectively sort of the second stroke third division of 
of of American football um, or American soccer, as they probably describe it over there. Um, when they last played, crowds had diminished to around about two thousand. This was on the back of of a of a stadium move, which hadn't gone down well with fans, mainly due to the fact that um, it was it was in a an area of town um, which. Uh, well, for want, for want of a better phrase, was a glorified crack den. You know, burnt down buildings, sort of shuttered, shuttered up a residential property. It, it wasn't. It, it wasn't the, a a celebratory uh, right. uh, resident uh, uh, area to to watch football. Um, so so crowds had diminished. Um, the club had been losing a lot of money. But uh, this family, the Dworkins, who who are part owners of an NBA franchise, um, they are trying to get the Rochester Rhinos to to start off again in in 2022. And uh, uh, Jamie Vardy, uh, I think through his agent as well, they've been in communication and now they have become part owners with a view to to kickstarting, finding finding first of all a new location, which is uh, more more amenable, more family friendly. Um, and I think that's intriguing. Uh, you know, Jamie Vardy is looking uh, beyond his career as a footballer. He's had a fantastic career. He's, he's one of my favourite players of all time in, in the Premier League, um, simply just because of his, his, his enthusiasm for the game. Yeah, um, and, and this is one, one of the options that he's taking up. Yeah, do we know whether he had previous links with Rochester or the Rhinos or... No, none at all. I, I think uh, he he had been looking to, to sort of expand his portfolio of of uh, sort of post post retirement uh, interests, and uh, he 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 liked the cut of the jib uh, oh, of, okay. of the Rochester Rhinos in the sense that it's uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a working class uh, area. You know, he's proud of his Sheffield roots. He's uh, he, he's proud of the fact that he he's he you don't you don't tend to see Jamie Jamie Vardy with a with a cocktail with a uh, yeah, with, with all, all, all the nonsense in it, he, he prefers a pint, and, and and he is sort of very down to earth. And he felt that the the values of the club effectively tied in with him. Yeah, he's a he's a brilliant footballer, and he's he's got that Ian Wright vibe about him because the the, yeah. the genius has never been trained out of him, basically. But he does look at you the way a seagull looks at a chip. Um, it's a slightly disconcerting man to be in the room with. Uh, the first thing Jamie Vardy needs to do, <clears throat> if he has any influence in the Rochester Rhinos, is to change the bloody name. Because I've been to that part of the world and uh, it's not famous for its Rhinos. I would have gone Rochester Rockets myself, but I'd, it's slightly confusing. Why that? But and, and on a similar note, and this is a story that has um, driven a lot of interest especially on Twitter, because uh, former U.S. international Landon Donovan is joining Lincoln City as a strategic advisor as part of a new investment deal. Um, Randy Eshelman, who's Randy with a Y on Twitter, is one of many people who asked how that can happen when Donovan is already part of the ownership group at Swansea. Um, it, it's because of a, a different role. Uh, if he is an advisor as opposed to a shareholder, then, as far as I can make out, there, there would be no breach of the rules. Um, if, effectively, if you own, I think it's t- if you own more than ten percent of more than one club, then there is a potential conflict of interest. Um, we're, we're seeing this in Italy at present, where a club's just being promoted, uh, where where the owner 
uh, of, of the club also has an interest in Lazio. And, and now that they're both in Syria, it looks like he might have to sell. And, and there's talk about uh, the the Leeds uh, United owner, Radrizani, uh, potentially acquiring a stake in, in one of those clubs, and not the Lazio one. Um, so um, it, it's intriguing stuff on Lincoln. Lincoln you know, is, in my view, you know, they're one of my five-star clubs, very, yeah. very progressive outlook, uh, really fantastic uh, engagement with fans, um, and they have taken on uh, additional investment from the uh, from the US. Uh, you know, I've, I'll be honest, I'm on I have regular uh, WhatsApp conversations with with people from Lincoln, and and I'm, I'm always very uh, impressed that they're forward looking uh, strategy. You know, they they want to get into the championship and, and then see how things go from there. And they they're doing the right thing: infrastructure building, uh, making the, the club more available more often to fans and other people. Um, and on the back of that. Um, yeah, that gives them greater resources from which to put you know, to, to to put together a competitive squad um, to to allow them to uh, chase promotion. And, and when we're told it's part part of a new investment deal that he's been brought in as strategic advisor, does that mean that the new investors have said, "Well, we will put money in, but we want this guy to come in and maybe keep an eye on how it's being spent." Yes, yeah, and, and it's always useful to have eyes and ears um, uh, at, at at board level, at discussion level, uh, especially if your background is uh, one which is unfamiliar with the day-to-day operations of a football club, which is, uh, whilst it has uh, some consistencies with uh, other businesses, it's also unique in so many ways because the objective of most organisations uh, is to uh, achieve financial success um, and, and you know, fiduciary rewards for shareholders. Whereas for a football club, the uh, the objectives can be different because, you know, as, as we've always said, it, it's far more of a social, uh, far more of a broader issue. Yes, it's it's all very well for you to say eyes and ears. You know what your Uncle Terry would say? Grass. That's what Uncle Terry would say. <laughs> Um, and our final news story before we get into some very interesting questions this week. Uh, uh, Tottenham have paid back their £175 million loan to the Bank of England, uh, which it says here, because uh, I wrote it, puts them in a position to complete the new contract for Son Hyung min which begs the question, how much are they paying Son Hyung min <laughs> Yes. Well, um, if, if we take a look at the um, conditions laid down by the uh, Bank of England under the COVID lending facilities, um, it, it's that if money is advanced to a company, it cannot be used to uh, increase senior pay uh, or, or the pay of senior staff. Now, right. um, I, I would suggest that uh, Son Hung Min is is one of the top two or three uh, paid employees within the within the playing staff. Uh, at Spurs, uh, and clearly he's a player that they want to hold on to. Uh, a, he's a good player. B, from a marketing perspective, he's worth an absolute fortune given his popularity uh, back back in his home country. Um, you know, I've, I've been to Spurs, and I think you have, uh, and you know, the, the number of people that, uh, that, that from Asia who, who yes, come yeah, out yeah, to, uh, from yeah. the megastore with with their Son yeah. shirts uh, yeah. is uh, is phenomenal. So um, you, you can see the benefits of that. So it's what Spurs have effectively done is that they're repaid the, the Bank of England loan, which is at 0.5%, and they will be uh, borrowing, and, and they've issued what's referred to as loan notes, which are uh, is what the, the finance community call IOUs. 
um, and, and they're paid uh, at around about two and a half percent interest. So, uh, you know, it will, there will be an interest in the an increase in the interest or finance costs um, of the club, but um, it, it will allow them more flexibility in terms of their ability to negotiate with with key employees. So basically, we have talked before, as you said, that the Bank of England COVID loans, whatever you call them, have got conditions on. But if they borrow the money from anywhere else, then they can pretty much do what they want with it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, there will always be some form of uh, covenant with, with any lending arrangement uh, from a corporate perspective. It's to it's it's to uh, you know it's to stop Daniel Levy going down to the local news agent and, and putting all the lot on scratch cards. Um, uh, which appears to be the sort of this rather scattergun approach which they've got to recruiting a manager at present. Um, <laughs> but uh, there th- 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 will be covenants, but they are far less onerous than than what we've seen in terms of the Bank of England. Those uh, those loans, and Arsenal have repaid theirs, remember, as well, were specifically for companies who uh, make a significant contribution to the economy yeah. um, mm. and need it for what's referred to as working capital, i.e. paying the sort of the day-to-day bills. Right. Um, I think Spurs now feel that they want more of a longer-term loan arrangement, and, and for that they've gone to the private sector. Okay, Kieran, it's questions time, and our first one comes from Ian McLaren. Uh, Ian says that he was just wondering why owners allow their clubs to go into administration. It would seem that many owners are expecting a big boost in income from somewhere to save their clubs while they are busy not paying wages or tax bills. What is this pot of gold they are waiting for? It's a fair point, uh, Kieran. It's something we've discussed before, but that sort of magic wand, it'll be all right attitude does seem quite common in English football, doesn't it? Yes. Well, the, the reason why I think it's I think it's a hangover from when it, it actually used to work. Um, <laughs> when when clubs had significant liabilities, um, putting the club into administration what was it was a bit like what we used to see in Men in Black, where it would effectively uh, get rid of all the get rid of all the history, get get rid of all the memories, and what you were left with was the ability to buy the assets from the administrator. Quite often, you could buy those quite cheaply in what we were what was referred to as a pre-pack arrangement, and all of the creditors uh, got stuffed. Um, and then, uh, to be fair, you, you know, give give credit to both the, the Premier League and the EFL. They said this this is not acceptable, and and that's why now, um, unless football creditors are repaid one hundred percent and unsecured creditors are repaid a minimum of twenty five percent, there are automatic points deductions. Uh, you do get a points deduction if you go into administration as well. So there's there's both input and uh, uh, input and uh, export uh, points deductions. Um, the the benefits was simply that you you could you could turn one over on your creditors and then there's mm. little that they could do about it and certainly from somebody that used to work in the insolvency business this this was always something I felt a little bit uncomfortable with but if if the company had been poorly run uh, you know one of the things you're always trying to do is is to is to preserve the company to preserve jobs. So mm-hmm. it, it was a uh, it, it was always sort of a moral and ethical challenge when when dealing with the with the nature of, of these deals. It's um it, it's probably twenty years ago now, Kieran. Scarily, but there was a spate, wasn't there, over two seasons of the season ending, and three or four clubs went into administration after the season finished. Um, 
to do exactly that. And that's one of the reasons the points deduction was brought in, wasn't it? To stop clubs yep. just taking advantage of that system where they could, you know, close the club and then come back as, you know, as an, you know, Melchester Rovers is gone, but Melchester Rovers 1998 is back. So that's in, exactly why that was done to prevent that unhappiness for creditors who owed that sort of money. And most of those creditors as well weren't big organisations, were they? They were local printers and St John's Ambulance and people like that. Yes, and, and the reason for that is is there's actually there's there's two types of creditors. There's what's referred to as a secured creditor who effectively have a mortgage um, over some of the assets of, of the club or, or the business, um, and that that means that they get first dibs, and, and until that they are repaid a hundred percent of what is owed to them, the unsecured creditors, which is the people that you were referring to, you know, the the, the local suppliers, you yeah. know, the, the 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 local coach company that uh, that transport the players to away matches, you know, the pie suppliers, they, the the St John's ambulance, they they often ended up with with nothing or next mm. to nothing um, as a result of um, some club owners now. Some sometimes it was just genuine bad luck at the club. Some club owners, uh, mentioning no names, I'll mention those names to you after the show. Um, played the system like a piano um, and and got benefits on the back of that. Yeah, you could see when I was uh, struggling to name a club, and it eventually came up with Melchester Rovers that I had the words of Guy ringing in my ears saying, stop saying things out loud. We're going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait for Kieran to tell you off air. Um, Mark Strong has a question about a, a topic that's been uh, troubling us for some time now, uh, which is gambling sponsorship in football. And Mark says, with the government seemingly trying to stop the sponsorship of gambling companies in football, especially uh, on shirt fronts, would clubs like my team, Coventry, be due a refund if this did happen? Um, if it is brought in in the form of legislation, um, n- the answer is no, or highly unlikely. Uh, but I suspect that if it is brought in in the form of legislation, <clears throat> what will happen in terms of front of shirt sponsorship is that there will be a cooling off period, which yeah. will allow football clubs who have existing deals to to taper those deals through to their their, their natural uh, natural expiry date. So um, I, I think that that would possibly be one one consideration. Um, I, I did speak. Last week, to the the, the fan led review panel who, who yes. are looking into uh, issues in respect of sponsorship, and uh, I was yeah, there, there are about eight or nine people on the panel who who were who were grilling me, and and the issue of gambling sponsorship did arise, um, and and I was asked to to go away and, and to, to crunch some numbers. I mean, I I estimate that the the big four. Gambling companies. So we're looking at uh, uh, Labrook Coral, uh, Bet365, uh, William Hill, and uh, Flutter, which I think is Paddy Power and Betway. Yeah. Uh, between them, that they're bringing in over two hundred billion pounds a year wow. uh, in in the form of of gross wages. Now, now they will say, and, and, and rightly so, that that some of that money is recycled. So, you know, if if you if if you 
if you uh, if, if you put a bet on a hundred pounds and it comes in and you get five hundred pounds back, and then you go and uh, I think the uh, I believe the word the prime minister uses is spaff all yeah. of that money um, on another bet and lose, then you know the total wages is six hundred pounds because it's one hundred plus five hundred. So they they will say, well, you know, that, that perhaps those numbers are a bit uh, inflated, but you know that is the, the total value of the wages based on based on the data I could see. Um, so gambling is a big industry. It provides a lot of employment. Uh, it provides a lot of enjoyment for people as well. Um, so so where are we w- with regards to the industry? Um, it's uh, it, it's it's an uncomfortable position because uh, you know it's also an industry that rightly or wrongly uh, results in uh, you know, domestic violence, bankruptcy, suicide, and is enough being done to, to deal with with problem gamblers. Uh, again, the industry will say, "Well, we're spending you know a hundred million pounds a year on dealing with uh, with, with what we with uh, problem gambling." Um, that's uh, that, that's what the the uh, the uh, the chief executive of, or, or Denise Coates at uh, Bet365, that's what she earns in 12 weeks. So is, yeah. is it a lot of money? Yes. Is it enough money? Well, compared to the total marketing spend, uh, possibly not. Uh, and it's a case of getting it right on the dial. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not in favour of prohibition. Um, I could see no logic to it because it's, it's an industry and, and we live in a, in, in a country of choices. But the, the somewhat insidious way that the uh, the industry uh, markets itself, especially with the emphasis on trying to get you to move away from um, betting on football to which which is where you could potentially make a make a profit uh, to move towards the what they refer to as the free spins where where i.e. the the in the, the online casinos where the odds are fixed and the odds are very much fixed in favor of the uh, uh, of the gambling institution itself so it's uh, i think an, an adult discussion needs to be made but in terms of a refund going back to mark's question uh, i can't see it yeah, to be fair to the gambling industry, Kieran, I, I don't think there's anything more likely to make a helpless gambling addict think twice than Jeff Selling staying. Jeff Stelling saying, "If the fund stops, stop." Basically, which is is pretty much the limit of the, their attempts to make people think about what they're doing with their money. Um, I was going to introduce the topic of you talking to the inquiry, and I got confused. You may have heard a, a slight noise here, Kieran, as I was being cross in the. Smudge decided she was going to walk across the keyboard. <laughs> uh, so she's fascinated by the sound of your voice. Um, but, and then I got slightly worried. I don't see why it could happen. But then I got slightly worried that Finley would hear that there was a cat at my end, <laughs> and then he'd get busy because he likes to well, get he, busy. He doesn't honest. wear headphones, unlike me, when we're <laughs> recording the show. Well, he's a clever enough dog to wear headphones, I imagine. And yes. uh, Smudge, can you get off the next question? Thank you. Um, I was going to introduce the subject of your appearing before the committee uh, later on in the form of a very clever question. Oh. I was going to say the next question comes from Kevin Day, who says, "I understand." Um, <laughs> tell us a little. This is the, uh, tell us a little bit more about the committee you did appear in front of, Kieran, and, and maybe a couple of the other big topics that came up uh, in that discussion. Um, well, the as as people may be aware, the uh, the government has accelerated its uh, manifesto commitment to a fan led review of football uh, in in the in the aftermath of the uh, the Super League uh, event, which has gone very quiet, by the way. But uh, yes, remember, three three clubs are still in Super League. Yeah. Um, so it's being chaired by Tracy Crouch, who's the former sports minister, who I think if I get it correct, she resigned over the 
government's reticence to uh, stop having uh, fixed fixed odds terminals yep. in gambling uh, yep. in, in gambling establishments, which uh, you could put, I think you could put, up, you could bet up to a hundred pounds on these a time, yeah. Um, so uh, she's um, she, she's certainly a person of principle, and um, I, I was asked to sort of discuss issues in terms of the distribution of money. The, the issues of parachute payments going going back to our earlier discussion with the with the EFL um, and I effectively said things along along similar lines. Um, Clark Carlisle was there, who's who's the former chief executive of the EFL. Yes. There were people who have connections with clubs. There are people from the world of finance themselves. So so they sort of asked a, a variety of questions, um, um, and, and I nerded out with a series of, of charts. <laughs> Did you? Um, is your instinct, Kieran, having appeared before this committee again, and then, and it's it's something you you've done on a regular basis recently? But is your instinct that the government is genuinely interested in making football more democratic, or do you think it is a hasty response to the Super League in, a, in an attempt to get votes at the next election? Um, I I, I think the government has seen the extent of feeling uh, after right. Super League. Um, and and has uh, reacted accordingly. Um, yeah, there was a mysterious meeting between the Prime Minister and Ed Woodward yes. uh, about four or five days before the announcement of Super League. Now, depending upon people's political persuasions and, and which newspapers they read, um, it, it, some some newspapers have have intimated that the Prime Minister was in favour of Super League following his his chat with Ed Woodward. Um, and then when he saw the the weight of popular opinion um changed his mind um uh, so so that's uh, so you know sort of the cynic in me sort of says well you know if if I was prime minister I'd I'd, I'd go with the flow uh, and you know that that that's politics um certainly Tracy Crouch is is a uh, uh, is a commitment politician so she is uh, uh, she she is looking at the broader issue. She's a football fan herself, um, and I don't think that she will just go through the through the tokenism route. Um, certainly, in respect of one of the other issues that was discussed, which was should uh, football be left to a, a situation of self regulation mm. or uh, some form of independent commissioner? Uh, she was. Uh, I think she she is she's open to to listen to. Uh, suggestions from from all of the people that that are contributing and and, and after I spoke I think it was uh, Portsmouth uh, Portsmouth uh, there's people from Portsmouth talking to her and then people from Bolton Wanderers both of whom of course of clubs who have had uh, fairly traumatic experiences yeah. with a series of owners whose interests were not in the not in the interests of the football club and certainly not in the interests of the fan base. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, I think our Prime Minister would only be too happy to go with the flow, but he's just married the carry, so he might give it a couple of weeks yet. Um, <laughs> Tom Holliday uh, read an article saying that Barcelona will have to pay Lionel Messi 38 million euros as a loyalty bonus, even if he leaves the club. Uh, as Tom rightly points out, this doesn't seem very loyal. And Tom also wonders if loyalty bonuses are amortisation in a different name and in a creative way to get around financial rules. And I notice that Tom obviously has the same problem that I had with my keyboard because he spelt the word euros rather than using the symbol. Because it's confusing. The number two key has got the at symbol and the euro symbol. Use the alt key, Tom. I found that out yesterday. Yeah, that's the secret. That's the secret. I I, I wish I'd asked Ali three years ago now because (laughs) it's just yeah, it was good old fashioned eyebrow raising time. And I went, here's a good question. Ali, and also this bloke can't use the euro symbol. How do I do? Why have they got two symbols on the two key? Is it because there's two symbols on it? So you went, well, there's the three symbol hasn't got three keys on it, is it? Use all. <laughs> then she goes, use all. I said, what do you mean, use all? Well, press all the same way you'd press the up button. And oh, I can't. Well, at the same time? No. By which time I should have just. <laughs> printed the word euro it's already been much quicker but anyway it's a it's a it's an interesting question from tom because uh, you've got a lot of our listeners uh, paranoid now that everything every football club does is amortization in a different name <laughs> right um a big question though is the plural of euro euro or euros Oh, that's a good that's a good question to distract me for the next 10 minutes you know, yes. what do you know that's really interesting because in ireland uh, they always say euro, so we yep. say thirty-eight million euro. Yeah, that's, oh, that's interesting. And, and and I write uh, I write exam questions, and yeah. uh, I always use the singular. I don't put this on it, and that was and that came from the uh, who, whoever is in charge of me. I've forgotten they are. Um, <laughs> Troublemaker, you say? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that, I, I was. I, I, I did it in. I did it with an S at the end, and was uh, was uh, taken to task about that. Yeah, I, um, can, I can just imagine you being called into an office, going, "You're not the boss of me," and they go, "Yes, I am." That's exactly. That's exactly how I know. Finley's back. Tell Finley's back. Tell Finley to stop slamming that door. <laughs> um, right on to. Uh, Mark's question. Tom's the, question. The structure Tom, of... This is, this and, is Tom. Mark, Mark was last Sorry, question. Sorry, so on to Mark's question. Yeah. Tom's question. I can't... You've got I, a new I mind map as well. Euros, but not between Mark and Tom. <laughs> You're getting used to your What's Finley's got the hump today, hasn't he? Finley's doing he's, some he's, proper door yeah, slamming. Yeah, he, he wandered in with a wonky chomp. Oh, okay. um, to show me, um, and because I wasn't willing to uh, chase him around the room with it, uh, he's, now, he's now buggered off into another room to go and take it up with the Baroness. <laughs> oh, your ears will be burning now, won't they? They'd both be talking about you now. <laughs> and his new mind map. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so back to uh, oh. Tom's position. Um, the the nature of an individual deal with a uh, player. Uh, 
can get incredibly complicated, uh, especially when you're dealing with uh, a multi-million pound uh, employee such as uh, Lionel Messi. Now, Barcelona will not have charged uh, a cent uh, or a euro uh, in amortization with regards to Lionel Messi because he was recruited um, as uh, as a young player and therefore they didn't have to go and play, pay for his initial registration. But uh, I, I think in terms of the 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 end of season bonus this as much as anything else has got to do with uh, with cash flows so what one of the concerns that football clubs have is that for an organization such as UEFA uh, it tends to make payments uh, a, a sort of a couple of times during the season uh, and given that uh, Barcelona could be in receipt of you know anything up to uh, 100 110 million euro um, in a single season, depending upon how far you progress, sometimes it's uh, that that money is normally given out by uh, by UEFA at the end of the season. So therefore, if they get a large amount of money coming in, then you can say, well, Lionel Messi, we're going to pay you one million euro a month for eleven months, and then in the twelfth month, when the money comes in from UEFA, we will give you your bonus. So it's just actually one for smoothing out cash inflows and outflows, um, rather than to do with amortization. Uh, so I, I can't see that money being spread over a number of years, uh, given that he is effectively at the end of his, his contract. Um, is it at the 30th of June? He's, he's still not signed yes. a new contract from what I, I can I, make out. I believe not. Um, our next question, Kieran, comes from George Darling. Uh, and I can't apologise enough to George Darling that I spent a very happy two minutes pretending I was in Blackadder. I did exactly the same. Uh, it's just when I wrote this. That, um, and I will go to my grave arguing that the last episode of the last series of Blackadder is one of the finest things ever written. Um, I agree. I agree. It was it was so moving, so yes, poignant. Yes. Um, um, and he must – I mean, I, I just don't like to sympathise with George because uh, Captain Darling – Captain Darling's constant response from uh, Blackadder <laughs> was one of the greatest things, which had me like chortling like a chortling right. like a six year old every single time I heard it, and he must have heard it thousands <laughs> of times since then. Yes, apologies for that, George. I'm very sorry, but um, can George says, can you explain in everyman terms how consortia such as ALK and Madrox are able to buy clubs like Burnley and Sunderland with what seems to be the clubs? own money, even securing loans against the stadium and training grounds of a club they don't yet own, and why do governing bodies allow it? So basically what George is asking, Kieran, is a simple description of a leveraged buyout, and I don't blame him because I still struggle with the the actual concept. I, I mean, I can't go to the bank and say I'd like to buy one of producer guy's smaller houses and the bank says have you have you got four million quid and I say no but I will have when I own the house but that's essentially what's what's happening here isn't it in this and we use this phrase leverage buyout and, and I go oh, yeah okay, I understand but I still I still don't get how the Glazers got Man United and and as George said Burnley and Sunderland acquired in the same way well, um, leverage buyout, it's the equivalent of, a hundred, of uh, getting a 100% mortgage when you buy a house. So mm. you know, if, if I go back to, to when I bought my first house, which was you know, in, in the 80s, um, I, I, I didn't have any money at the time. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, I'd, I'd a few quid, I'd enough quid to go and pay the solicitor um, and pay for the you know, stamp duty and so on, but bugger all else. And I took out a hundred percent mortgage, and, and this is the route that the the Glazers have taken. I don't really think it's quite the same with Sunderland as far as 
what's happened there. That uh, Stuart Donald appears to be using some of the uh, uh, some of the parachute payments to, to pay the former owner. So it's it's a little bit more complex with Sunderland, but uh, Burnley have taken uh, the leverage buyout route. Um, first of all, it's legal and. Uh, Going back to one of our previous uh, discussions, this was also one of the things I was asked about with regards to the the fan led review. Should uh, should LBOs uh, be allowed um, in in the football environment? Um, uh, you know, as far as Manchester United are concerned, they have spent eight hundred and thirty million pounds paying interest uh, on the on the loans that the Glazer Company, uh, the Glazer family, acquired in two thousand and five. Some people would argue that that money may have been better spent on, uh, first of all, making Old Trafford a bit more modern, uh, yeah. you know, getting rid of the leaks in the roof, um, and secondly, uh, in, investing more uh, on the playing squad. So yeah, and that, that's an argument to you know, which which you, you can see the, the viewpoints of Manchester United fans. Um, ultimately, uh, if the owners of Premier League clubs and EFL clubs want to prevent LBOs taking place. They all, all they have to do is to put that forward as a proposal to meeting and vote on it. Right. So this is, again, one of the things I don't understand, Kieran, and I know that's my role on this pod, but if Burnley, if the owners of Burnley before the leveraged buyout, if they didn't want to sell the club, do they, is this an excuse for an aggressive takeover whether the previous owners want it or not? Or do they still have to say, no, you, you can buy the club, but you you has to be on a leverage buyout basis. Well, I mean, that, that you could lay that down as a condition, but but again, if, if we if we go back to sort of the analogy of of a house transaction, if you are selling your house, do you give a flying one as to how the person buying your house is going to fund it? You know, whether they're taking out a mortgage, whether they're putting down cash. As long as you get your cash from selling the house, that's all that matters. Well, it and, is, and, and I think I, that's the attitude which is I, taken by the seller of the football club. But only if I want to sell the house. If, if, if I didn't want to sell the house and I found that somebody was still buying my house using the value of my house, I think I might be a bit cross. But that's not the, the, the concept we're talking about here, is it? No, no, no. no okay. in, in the case of an LBO, um, the LBO is the funding model. The decision to sell is is between, uh, you know, I think uh, it was Mike Garlick and, and the other directors of Burnley. They chose to sell to ALK, and then in and then as far as how ALK funded the deal, that's something we don't necessarily want to get involved with. But they could have, if they had so chosen, um, put some form of covenant in that, uh, you know, they to insist that it can only be acquired via a certain route. But why why do that? Because if, if you, it doesn't matter what you're selling. If you're selling your, your company, your house, your car, um, your dog, your children, you know, whatever it happens to be, um, then uh, you know, you're just trying to maximise your return. And so so why, why reduce the pool of people who potentially are going to be able to, to buy – the, the company by putting in constraints on on the method they use. If, if ALK are as successful as they believe they will be, then the interest costs will be more than covered by additional revenues. 
Okay, we still have a few questions to go, Kieran, so we probably need to spend less time discussing sitcoms and door-opening dogs. Um, <laughs> the next, although I hope Finley didn't hear you mention selling your dog there, because I was expecting <laughs> I was expecting a massive slam. Um, Simon Barnard has a wonderful sliding doors moment type question. Uh, Simon says, 20-odd years ago, Gillingham beat Wigan in the dying minutes of the League One playoff final. They then spent five years in the Championship before being relegated back to League One, but with relatively balanced books. Wigan, meanwhile, eventually went into the Premier League before being relegated back to League One in a financial mire. Which path would you choose for your club and which club is now worth more, including real estate? Right. Uh, if we answer these questions in turn... Um... Would I have preferred, yeah, was it six, six, seven years in the Premier League and winning the FA Cup yeah. to uh, fifteen years in League One? Yes, I would. Um, so, if, if we take a look at Wigan, I think we need to look at the Wigan timeline. Wigan under Dave Whelan were a very well-run business, and in yeah. fact, the the uh, the person uh, Wigan had a uh, had a commercial bank account. And um, the sort of the, the business partner to, to Wigan happened to be a, a, a very close friend of mine. Um, and he said that without doubt, Dave Whelan was the easiest person to deal with of all the football clubs that, that he had to manage yeah. because Dave Whelan had the checkbook and he knew exactly how much money was going out every single day. He was sort of you know, old fashioned um old-fashioned manager, he said the only downside was that every time he went up to Wigan to have a chat, Dave Whelan happened to mention that he once played in the FA Cup final and broke his leg. <laughs> <Did he>? um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a new story to me, of course. Yeah, um, well, I, I so, came, I, the first time I went up to Wigan, I came back about a stone heavier as well because Dave Whelan insisted I try every single pie they had. Brilliant. Um, and then mentioned that he broke his leg playing for the FA, in the FA Cup final. Um, yeah, it, 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 there used to be one of the best clubs to visit, Wigan. They're yeah. an amazingly friendly club. Uh, they all were to an extent, but he was a, a very generous man with his time in the club were too, uh, which is why I think we were both so upset by what happened to them in recent year. Uh, That's right. So I, you know, I, I think Dave, Dave Whelan was, uh, so yeah, old school owner, Ran the club very well. If you look at the profitability of the club, yeah, Wigan Wigan didn't do anything daft. When they were then taken over by IEC uh, and Choi Stanley, who then sold the club to Al Young, that's when things started to unravel. So, you know, if if we're looking at at Simon's timeline over 20 years, for 18 years, I'd say that that Wigan were run uh, in a a textbook way. um, And then it only takes one owner. Uh, in, a, in a very short time period to completely unravel of that. Mm. As far as Gillingham are concerned, um, you know, their, their, their main owner, Paul Scally, um, does operate a, a break-even model. Um, it, it is a club which, which doesn't try to live beyond its means. And, and therefore, from a sustainability point of view, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's a well-run club. The, uh, the, the potential downside is that, you know, that it, it, that's that's nice and worthy. Uh, sometimes it's nice to have a bit of excitement, um, but you know it, it, that that could that could of course put the risk of the the, the club's long term future at, uh, yeah. uh, at at breaking point. So yeah. um, you know they both have merits, but I think Wigan have have had a more exciting ride in terms of the value today. Um, 
if you're acquiring Wigan, it's, it's got a bigger stadium. Um, I think they've now got planning permission for the statue of the administrators as well. So that'd be worth a bit more. Um, <laughs> Gillingham Stadium hasn't had a lot of infrastructure spend. Mm. Um, but for, from, a non, uh, from a non-footballing perspective, it probably is more value as a site. OK, Dan Jones says that the last January transfer window saw an unusual amount of transfers from the MLS to the Championship. Is this because Brexit-related work permit change make them easier, or are US transfers just as difficult as EU ones now are? Well, I think Dan's raised uh, raised a good point here. Um, when the when when the UK was part of the European Union, we we had uh, uh, freedom of movement of labour, which meant that. Uh, recruiting a player from uh, you know, the Netherlands or Portugal um, or the Czech Republic was exactly the same as recruiting a player from, from Barnsley or Morecambe or Rochdale. So there was complete flexibility. Because we have now moved to uh, a GBE, governing body endorsement points-based mm. system, um, the EU is now treated the same as uh, the rest of the world, which means that uh, it's it's harder to recruit players from the EU because it was already not easy to recruit MLS players. So therefore, relatively, um, it, it, it is a step up from the MLS. Also, you know, uh, players from Africa, uh, the Americas and so on. Uh-huh. Uh, Gordon Keane, uh, beg your pardon, Gordon Kane. Uh, put in extra letters in there, Gordon. He's not even a, he's not even a patron. I'm putting the next letter. Was he, letter was in, he in uh, Hello Hello? Uh, was that Gordon Kane? Yes, uh, yeah. So it was Gordon with it with an E. But, ah. uh, oh, that's where the extra E came from. I was imagining the uh, no, that was Gordon K, I believe. Ah, okay. Yeah. What did I t- say, Kira? What did I say about not wasting time talking about? No, sitcoms? sorry, that's the comment. Gordon Kane says that, uh, as we've discussed earlier on this pod, big clubs are able to as- access money through the government and big banks at pretty low interest rates, like one percent, two percent, as we talked earlier. And Gordon says that my, his assumption is that even if a big club is in debt, their underlying value makes them a safe bet. But we've also talked about other clubs taking on debts at much higher rates, like 10%, so high they actually worsen the financial position of a club. But if those clubs are also supporting the debt with underlying asset value, why can't they get the cheaper loans? Which is a good question. Why aren't we all uh, able to apply for those lovely cheap loans? Right. Well, in terms of the the Bank of England 0.5% COVID loans, um, one of the uh, key criteria is that you have to have uh, a credit rating, which I think was AA. Uh, Now, that means that you are uh, highly unlikely to default on the loan. So uh, that's the benefit. If, If your credit rating was uh, poorer, then you didn't qualify. If we then take a look at the the clubs that have been borrowing, and we, I think we've seen Southampton borrow at 9.7%. We know that Burnley have borrowed money. Um, Sunderland, Derby County, thought we'd throw them in. Um, <laughs> they've, they've all borrowed from MSD Holdings, Mike, Michael Dell's company. Um, the, the big issue with respect to those clubs is that um, I, I think we can, we can safely say that if, even though they've had relatively mediocre seasons, it is highly unlikely that either Arsenal or Spurs would be relegated from the Premier League, which means that to a certain extent, they've got guaranteed cash flows coming in from the Premier League. And both of those clubs are also generating um, £100 or £100 million plus 
from uh, from ticket sales in terms of match day income. Southampton, not the case. You know, Southampton are at risk of relegation. Burnley are at risk of relegation, and the the potential reduction in cash that increases the risk of the business. Therefore, the way that borrowing works, and, and you know, when we see this, if you if you watch you know, uh, if you watch daytime TV, um, you, you will see uh, lending companies come on, and they'll be quoting eye-watering interest rates normally for people who've got a poor credit history. Well, that, that's what you do. There's an inverse relationship between the rate of interest charged um, and uh, the the security of, of the company involved. Right. Uh, I actually had some good news the other day about my credit rating, Kieran. My uh, account manager phoned up for one of his usual chats. And in the course of it, he went, oh, by the way, I've got some something nice to tell you. My credit rating has been updated to fine. That was, oh, very good. <laughs> yes, yeah, I was fine. I was, I was, I had to put the phone down and get some champagne. I couldn't afford. Um, <laughs> on your credit card, on my, of course, on my credit card. I just had enough money for it. Um, we've got a couple of questions to go, Kieran. So let's see if we can not rattle through them because that would be disrespectful. But I think they're questions we can answer quite succinctly. And I'd be really interested in the answer to this one. It's from Joe Haining, um, and he said that earlier this year, Emma Hayes addressing rumours that AFC Wimbledon were considering her as manager, said they could absolutely not afford her. Is she right? And how do WSL manager salaries compare generally to their EFL counterparts? Right. Um, in terms of uh, Chelsea's women's team, they they lost quite a lot of money uh, in, in 2019-20. Um, and uh, that was mainly due to uh, an increase in their costs. Now, uh, Chelsea women's team qualify for what we refer to as a small as a small company, and therefore they don't have to go and show um, the the total wages being paid out. But um, speaking to some people I know in the WSL, uh, the, the average salary of a player is £27,000. The top earners in the uh, WSL are now earning £300,000 a year. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and uh, I, I won't name the clubs involved, but I think you can probably guess who they are. Yeah. Um, so uh, in terms of Emma Hayes, you know, she's, she's been a fantastic uh, coach uh, for Chelsea women. Uh, and on the back of that, uh, they, they've made a lot of progress. You know, they, They're clearly one of the, the leading clubs. Um, how would that? How would she compare to uh, clubs in, in the EFL? Um, I, I suspect that most uh, 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 most managers in the the Championship are on decent money. Uh, I was talking to uh, a, a press officer from a Championship club who said, "Well, our managers are only." On two hundred and fifty grand a year, right. um, and, and was then replaced by another manager who was on a million pounds a year. Right. Um, so you know that that's sort of the I think the, the range you would be looking at uh, in, in the championship plus bonuses, of course, upon promotion. Um, in 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 League One, um, I think we, we'd take quite a considerable drop. Uh, the, the, the total wage bills are often for the whole club can often be down to as, as low as sort of five or six million, um, and for clubs. Uh, so, you know, clubs that run on a really tight ship, they'll be even lower than that. So um, I think we'd probably be on, on a par with uh, some of the better paid clubs in League One would be would be my assessment. Mm-hmm. And that's not a that's not a criticism uh, 
of 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 Wimbledon. You know that they 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 got a fairly strict budget and they kick they they stick to it because they're a fan owned club. Yeah. Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Nick Pooley. Uh, Nick says that in recent pods, you've mentioned that Everton had sold the rights to their training ground, Finch Farm, for a lot of money. How is that different to Wednesday Villa and you-know-who from the East Midlands <laughs> selling, <laughs> selling their grounds to their owners? Surely it's aimed at doing the same thing those clubs did, which is increasing revenue against the rules. Um. It, it, it is exactly the same. And also, those stadium sales are not against the rules. Ah. The rules were changed in 2016 in both the Premier League and the EFL to allow stadium sales to, to be counted, or rather the profits of stadium sales, to be counted for financial fair play purposes. It's not allowed for UAPA. For, uh, under UEFA rules, when, when doing an assessment, when clubs qualify for the the Champions League, Europa League, and the uh, Conference, um, I, I I sort of did an investigation of this because to me it seems intuitively wrong. You know, mm. we, we've said that uh, football stadium should be protected assets yep. to, to from from a sustainability point of view, and allowing sales uh, reduces that 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 closeness. Um, but uh, when I when I did have a chat with with somebody reasonably senior, um, they said, "Yeah, we we know it's a bit daft. Um, it it's it's it was cock up rather than conspiracy. There, there wasn't at the time uh, an intention to change it. I think it was just poor wording. Right. And since then, clubs have seized upon it. And I think the viewpoint now is that if we're going to allow clubs such as Sheffield Wednesday, Reading, Villa, Birmingham, and a club who they might have forgotten from the East Midlands <laughs> to sell their stadium. Why should? Isn't it harsh if we deny it to other clubs in those yeah. divisions as well? Um, so, so, so that's the position we find ourselves in. We're going back to the issue at Everton, um, you are allowed to do it per the rules. the The key issue is: has the sale been at a fair value? Has it been at a market price? Mm. And the EFL did charge both Sheffield Wednesday and Derby with regards to this that they felt it wasn't at a fair price. But uh, the clubs defended successfully those those charges um, when, when when it went to uh, arbitration. Okay, we've just got one more question left, Kieran. So we probably will go over the hour slightly. So we'll only owe Guy a small apology. Uh, <laughs> is it sometimes after this pod, it's like the scene in Oliver Twist with the Beatles waiting at the end of a hall, and Kieran and I have, have to approach him in our tattered rags and, ex- <laughs> and explain why we went over the hour. And Guy explains that we're not getting any extra gruel this week, which implies that we get gruel in the first place. And now, <laughs> uh, and I, now we've just gone over the hour, so that will teach me. Um, Phil Gandhi, as our last question. Phil says, um, again, you recently discussed prize money for the Champions League on your pod. And although my team, Tranmere, are a million miles from that, it got me wondering about other prize money and TV income. When Tranmere do well in the FA Cup, Papa John's Trophy, etc., when do they actually get the money? from progressing through the rounds and being on TV? Um, I, I contacted uh, our very good friend, 
Andy Holt uh, yep. of Accrington Stanley to to get uh, to get the, the perfect answer. And Andy said, "It's effectively you get rewarded as you go through the competition," which he said, which in our case in the last few years has been nowhere. Um, <laughs> so uh, thanks thanks to Andy for answering that one for us. Um, so it, it is uh, it, it is effectively uh, as you go through the FA Cup because there are set amounts you you get them as as you progress through the tournament. So that really is a handy source of income then. It's, it's not a cliche when commentators talk about a cup run potentially saving a, a club's financial year. That's the case. They're getting the money as they go. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm, and I think that would probably be the same for TV because the, the, the amounts uh, paid by the TV companies are set out in advance. Oh, okay, but the the TV companies are not paying the clubs direct though, so they'll be they they'll That's be right. yeah okay yeah they they pay direct to the the the, the organisation hosting the the competition yeah so either the EFL or the Football Association. Okay. Well, thank you to everyone who has recently become a patron of the pod through our Patreon site, and that includes Randy with a Y. That's two mentions. That's what you get from being a Patreon. Wendy with a Y, Richard Singleton, Peter Adolfson Lerman, Peter Bowles, and Tom Greatrex, Vice Chair of the Football Supporters Association, who says thank you for a consistently brilliant pod shining a light into the dark corners of how football is run is invaluable to all who love the game. Keep up the good work, which is exactly how we feel about the brilliant work of the Football Supporters Association. So thank you for that, Tom. Uh, and if you'd like to join those people and become a patron of the pod, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Patreon.com forward slash price of football is where you need to go. And if you have any questions for our next questions pod, which will be a week today, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And we will be back on Thursday when Tottenham, Everton and Palace fans will all be hoping we'll be discussing how much their new manager can cost them. And the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire, who's very happy with his manager to say his customary farewell. Well, once again, folks, thanks for all the feedback. Um, if you're enjoying the show, if you could give us five stars on that purple icon uh, representing Apple, we, we don't we don't understand why it works, but uh, you know, here I, I produce a guy in, assures me that that is the case. Um, and again, thanks for your support on Patreon. Um, you know, it's for as little as one pound a month, it just helps us to to, to keep get uh, keep getting the show. Um, and other than that, uh, look after yourselves and uh, come on, England. The price of football. The price of football.